What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Clips Convo. So I'm your host, Joey Lynn, and I'm excited to be back with you again on this rainy Monday out here in Southern California. I apologize this episode is coming out a little bit later in the day than I normally like to get my episodes out, but I wanted to wait until the injury report came out before I hopped on here. I'm learning from my mistakes. I'm not recording before the injury report comes out anymore because I want to make sure that I'm fully up to date on who will be in or who will be out for the Clippers uh, in between this episode and their next game, which is tomorrow in Chicago. And the good news is that as of right now, it looks as if the Clippers are going to be approaching full health, which is very exciting. The Clippers have not been at full health in quite some time, and they won't be exactly at full health in this game, but they're getting close. As of right now, the only player who has been ruled out is John Wall. There are some questionable statuses to keep an eye on. One of those is Marcus Morris, who has missed the last three games uh, with a rib contusion, and that's something to keep an eye on. Reggie Jackson as well is being listed as questionable, and Robert Covington is the third Clipper who is being listed as questionable. So an interesting development there because Marcus, obviously, as I said, he's missed three games with the rib contusion. Reggie, I'm kind of surprised to see him being listed as questionable because he was out uh, for the previous game in Cleveland. I thought it was more so just a rest situation on the front, or excuse me, the last half of a back-to-back. But it looks like he may be actually dealing with some sort of injury right now if he is not just a cleared to play tomorrow as things stand currently. And then Robert Covington was away from the team uh, for personal reasons, so it's good to see him now upgraded to questionable because it indicates that he is uh, at least thinking about rejoining the team if he hasn't already for this game in Chicago. He has not been ruled out a day in advance, which is certainly good news. So there's your injury news. As I mentioned, I want to make sure I waited until that dropped before I hopped on here and recorded, because as you guys know, there have been way too many times where I've recorded an episode, talked about this player or that player, and then all of a sudden they're on the injury report and that becomes completely irrelevant. So that's the injury report situation. Before we go into some of the stuff that I wanted to talk about on this episode, I kind of had my outline ready for this episode before we got a few more trade rumors and reports kind of floated out there. I believe it was the ringer who came out with an article talking about what the Clippers should do, kind of what they're hearing in terms of what they might do. So while this isn't a trade episode like my last two were, I still wanted to hit on that because it's still a very a big topic right now with the trade, de- trade deadline 10 days away. I'm recording this on January 30th, the deadline is February 9th. So we're getting real close. And as you guys know, the Clippers almost always do something. Usually it comes, I mean, sometimes within the last hours of the trade deadline, usually within the last few days. So uh, we may be like a week or so out from the Clippers getting active at the trade deadline. But circling back to that article I was referencing, two names that popped up for the Clippers as potential targets, potential trade candidates were Fred Van Fleet, who we've talked about a few times on the podcast, and Mason Plumley. Plumley obviously would be a backup center option for the Clippers. I have been an advocate uh, of them going and getting a backup center. In my opinion, a lot of the available backup centers will kind of do the same thing in terms of their role with the Clippers. So that's, in my eyes, going to come down to price. Which one can you get 
at the most affordable price because we don't need that guy to play a ton of minutes in the regular season and probably close to zero minutes in the playoffs. So what you don't want to do is overpay for a guy like that. You need somebody who is better than Moses and somebody who can spell zoo if he gets into foul trouble or rolls an ankle or something like that. Plumlee, I think, would be a pretty good option, but again, it's going to be dependent on the price. As for Fred Van Fleet, this is an interesting one for me because when you talk about the point guards that the Clippers have been linked to with Mike Conley, Kyle Lowry, uh, some people have have floated D'Angelo Russell's name out there, although we haven't seen as many reports directly connecting the Clippers to him. It's just been more so speculation based upon the trajectory of those two teams. But in the last week since I've been on this podcast, the Timberwolves have been playing really good basketball, arguably the best back basketball in the conference, and uh, D'Angelo Russell's been a big reason why. So because of that, I, I really don't see him being on the table, definitely not for uh, a price that the Clippers could afford. So I, I don't really include him in this group. But when you look at guys like Conley, uh, look at guys like Lowry, and then you look at a guy like Fred Van Fleet, where you're thinking, well, that's obviously a much better choice than those other two point guards. And in a vacuum, yes, you're correct. Fred Van Fleet is a better player than both Kyle Lowry and Mike Conley. But because of that, he is also a much more expensive player than those two guys. Both of those two guys are at the end of their careers. I mean, really could be out of the league as as soon as the next couple of seasons, just with the way that uh, their declines have developed over the last season plus and with their age. I mean, just guys just don't last in the league much longer than, you know, where those two guys are at right now. So because of that, they're not going to be very expensive, or at least they shouldn't be as opposed to a guy like Fred Van Fleet, who is not only going to be expensive in a trade package, but he is also going to be expensive in terms of retaining him. And that's what I wanted to hit on because that is something that I don't believe is being considered enough when people are talking about the price of trading for Fred Van Fleet. Because if you take a look at his contract, it's a little bit concerning. It is a little bit concerning because he is set to become an unrestricted free agent in 2024. Uh, The next year of his deal, which is after this season, is a player option for almost $23 million. It'll be interesting to see how he approaches that. I think with some of the reports that we have seen, uh, you could probably assume that he's going to decline that and look for a longer-term deal uh, on an extension, whether that be with the Raptors or whatever team he ends up on after the trade deadline. And that's where you got to start asking some questions if you're the Clippers, because theoretically... If you go and trade for Fred Van Fleet, he's going to require a legitimate package because as previously mentioned, he's 29 years old, unlike guys like Conley and Lowry. And while he's certainly experiencing a down year, which we're going to get into in a little bit as well, he's still a better player than those two guys. Um, when you just look at player for player, he's he's a better option than both Conley and Lowry and some of the other older point guards that you know their names have popped up in connection to the Clippers. So because of that, he's going to require a real package But theoretically, he could opt out at the end of this season and go sign somewhere else for a major price, something that the Clippers might not be willing to pay. And if that's the case, then you risk departing with pretty key assets, whether that be players or future picks, for a guy who's only here for half of a season. That's part of the concern. 
The other part of the concern is what the Clippers could potentially end up doing if they try to avoid that outcome. Now, if you trade for a guy like Fred Van Fleet, you have an opportunity to offer him more money than other teams. Even a team like, you know, the Houston Rockets, who could end up with a bunch of cap space. Not a lot of teams end up actually having cap space in free agency because of the way the league has gone with these max deals. And it's usually teams that are not in contention. We don't know where Fred Van Fleet's mind is at right now. He's already won a ring and now he's looking to get, I mean, he's already gotten paid too. He's on a four-year $85 million deal, but he's looking to get even more than that. So because of that, there's a possibility that a team, we'll just say Houston in this hypothetical, could throw him more money than the Clippers are willing to pay or more than they would like to pay. Now in that event, the Clippers have a decision to make. Do you let Fred Van Fleet walk? And like I said, you you face that scenario of parting with real assets for a player who was a half of a season rental. And God forbid you don't win a championship and you just threw those assets away for nothing. Or you decide to match or exceed whatever he was going to receive from a team like Houston. And now you're tied up with a three, four, five-year extension with a guy that has not been very good this season and has shown some real signs of decline. And again, he's only going to be 30 next season, but still, that's a, a very, in my eyes, relevant and important thing to look at. So for that reason, I am out on Fred Van Fleet because as previously mentioned, he is better than the two options when it comes to Lowry or Conley, but I still don't think even at his best, he is what this team needs, and he has been far from his best this season. And of course, there's people who point to his minutes per game being part of that with him playing 37 minutes per game uh, under Nick Nurse. He is notoriously unknown for playing his guys heavy, heavy minutes, but that's pretty standard for what we've seen from Fred Van Fleet over the last few seasons. He was at 36 minutes a night in 2019-20, 37 the next season, 38 last season. He's actually playing less minutes per game this season than he was last season, and his numbers are just not good. He's shooting 39.2% from the floor, which is the worst mark by a point guard in the entire NBA. He tied with Killian Hayes for the worst efficiency from the field amongst point guards. I believe he's fourth worst in the entire NBA. Uh, down there with guys like Jabari Smith. I mean, players who have just been very, very bad on the floor this season. Uh, He's only shooting 34.3% from deep, which is a concern of mine because while I believe that clip would probably go up playing next to Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and getting a lot cleaner looks, you have to knock down threes if you're going to play next to those two guys. And that's something that Fred Van Fleet has not done at an efficient clip this season. So there's other things to look at outside of just this idea of Fred Van Fleet, which in a lot of people's minds is that guy who, you know, helped lead Toronto to a championship off the bench. I mean, obviously he was playing behind uh, Kyle Lowry, but everybody kind of knew what was going to happen at that point. He was coming off the bench. He was providing good minutes for the Raptors. And then everybody kind of knew that next season, once Kawhi left, he was going to have to take a big step forward. And he did. The season after Kawhi Leonard left, uh, Fred Van Fleet bumped his points per game up nearly seven points from 11 to 17.6 points per game, increased them even more the next season to 19.6, and then was an all-star last season averaging over 20 points per game. All of that is great. And all of that is what I call the idea of Fred Van Fleet. 
But a lot of times the reality is not quite what the idea of a player is. And that's my concern with Fred Van Fleet because while he is a lot more talented than some of the other options, he's still just six foot one. His efficiency has been very poor this season. And while I think that would increase next to Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, I just don't think he's the prototype that they want next to those two guys. You guys know where I land on this conversation. I'm much more in favor of just giving these minutes to guys like Terrence and Luke than leaning into a guy like Fred Van Fleet who's going to cost you, one, a lot in assets, and two, a lot to retain. So I am against the Fred Van Fleet noise right now. I don't think it makes sense for the Clippers, uh, but I guess we will have to wait and see what happens and what that leads me into is well let's take a look at the guard play right now for the Clippers it's been a hot topic on every single episode and if we're going to be talking about potential a guard trade candidates we got to look at the guards we have on the roster right now and the first guy I want to talk about is Reggie Jackson because if you guys listen to this uh, podcast a lot you know that I have been a pretty consistent advocate for the Clippers going away from their two, their two traditional point guards who are Reggie Jackson and John Wall and instead giving those minutes, spreading them out across Luke, Terrence, and Norm. However, in the past couple of weeks since Reggie Jackson has had an opportunity to slide into what was John Wall's backup role on the bench, he has been very good. Reggie Jackson has made better decisions with the ball in his hands over the last week or so. He is shooting a more efficient clip. He has just been good. I mean, flat out good over the last several games. And that has to be acknowledged because we have seen Reggie Jackson be very good at times with the Clippers, but we've also seen him struggle quite a bit at times with the Clippers. And if this recent development is a sign of him turning the corner and getting back to some of that 2021 playoff action that he had. I don't want to really go all the way there and say that that's what he looks like because that was truly special and truly an outlier in terms of his career production. But it's it's similar in terms of the efficiency. You're not going to have that volume, but the efficiency has been pretty close to on par with that. So because of that, you, you start to think, okay, maybe is Reggie turning a corner? And if he is, there is a spot for him in the rotation. Plain and simple, there is a spot for Reggie in the rotation if he is playing the way that he has played over the last several games. Now, that creates some issues because part of my conversation, uh, part of my thought process when it comes to the guard conversation is pairing these guys in groups that make sense. And if Reggie needs to be in the rotation, then now that's an extra guard that needs minutes and now it becomes a lot more difficult to navigate some of these pairings that haven't been so great. So the thing that I like to look at when it comes to that is how these guys play alongside Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Because there have been a lot of guard combinations that have been thrown out there this season. One, because Kawhi Leonard and Paul George have been unavailable. But two, even when those guys have been available. Ty Lue has still been trying different things, a lot of which made no sense to begin with, um, and then were proven to really make no sense once they got consistent time together. And we've seen a lot of confusing combos out there for the Clippers this season. So to kind of filter through a lot of that noise, I like to look at combinations that include Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, because the bottom line is that if the Clippers are going to do anything of relevance in the playoffs and even throughout the rest of this regular season, 
Kawhi Leonard and Paul George need to be healthy, available, and on the court. That is the bottom line. So if that's what the ultimate goal is, you want to try to have guys out there that complement them well. And I noticed an interesting trend when looking through some of the data, because when you look at the guard pairings next to Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, they're pretty staggering. In terms of net rating, Kawhi, PG, and Luke Kennard are a plus 37.4. Kawhi, PG, and Reggie Jackson are a plus 13.4. Kawhi, PG, and Terrence Mann are a plus 7.7. Kawhi, PG, and Wall are a negative 3.4. And Kawhi, PG, and Norman Powell are a negative 9.8. Now, none of these are massive sample sizes simply because Those two guys haven't been out there together much this season, but they're all about the same in terms of the sample size. So because of that, you can draw a little bit from them. And none of them are really all that surprising either. They do meet the eye test. I have been a pretty strong advocate for Luke Kennard playing alongside those two guys even before this season started because I just liked the idea of his shooting and his spacing next to them, especially when the ball is in their hands. And the same can be said for Reggie, especially when he is at his best, which we have seen glimpses of over the last few games. The best offense in Clippers history, which was in 2021, came with a combination of Reggie Jackson and Patrick Beverly in the backcourt next to Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Both of those guys were very good catch and shoot threats at that time. Reggie Jackson has fallen off a bit with his overall three-point efficiency, but one of the things that has remained elite is his catch-and-shoot ability. He is still shooting a very high clip on those shots, and because of that, unsurprisingly, he's looked very good next to Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Terrence Mann, you can pretty much plug him next to anybody, and he's going to be a positive impact because he does so many things out there. Then you get into Wall and Norm, two guys who have not been good next to Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Almost every single player on the roster has a positive net rating when playing with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, but Wall and Norm, as you see right here, are pretty deep into the negative side of things. And that's something to look at. I think we already kind of know at least where John Wall is headed in terms of his place on this team. Even if they hang on to him past the trade deadline, I would be very surprised if he is in every game part of the rotation. Uh, And in terms of Norman Powell, we've talked about him a lot on the podcast as well. I mean, he's been one of the hottest players in basketball over the last few weeks in terms of his shooting. But for whatever reason, the Clippers have struggled to put together groups with Norman Powell that are a positive impact on the floor. One of those groups that has been very good for Norm is when he is out there as the lone guard with four wings. That has been very good. And the numbers affirm that. Norman Powell is out there alongside four wings. The Clippers, I got to pull it up again. Because uh, I just lost it. I had it pulled up here uh, just a second ago. Let me pull it up. I want to get you guys the actual numbers with that because it's one of those things that actually jumps off the page when you're looking at lineup combinations. Pull up cleaning the glass. That's a shout out cleaning the glass. That's where I've been going to uh, for a lot of these lineup combinations because the NBA had a tool. It was called their impact advance tool, but they took it away. For whatever reason, they took away their impact advanced tool, which was my go to for lineup data. And I've instead had to make the pivot over to cleaning the glass. And I think it might actually be a better option because they filter out uh, a lot of different things that I think are important to look at. They they take out 
um, garbage time, and they only they use bigger sample sizes as well. So let me filter this for you guys right now. I got Norman Powell on the court, and I'm going to go John Wall, Luke Kennard, and Reggie Jackson off the court because those are the three guards. I, I consider Terrence a wing when it comes to this. I'm going to put Zoo off the court as well because I want to look at Norm with four wings. So far this season, Norman Powell with four wings is a plus 17.3. That is incredible. The 100th percentile, it's about as good as it gets when you're looking at lineup combinations. So that is something the Clippers need to look to maximize, and I think there's opportunities to do it, but it's tough. Because like I said, you have a lot of guards that need minutes, and all the other guards that have been productive this year, I mean, you could, you could do the same thing for Luke. You could do the same thing for Terrence. They all look good as the lone guard out there. It's been something that has been very productive uh, for, I mean, every single uh, quality guard the Clippers have put out there on the floor this season. Uh, Luke Kennard, same thing. I just talked about Norm being, what, plus 16 or 17? When Luke Kennard is out there as the lone guard with four wings, it is a plus 31.0, so almost double what Norm was putting up. So, I mean, the, the Clippers have some very quality options to throw out there in terms of their guard rotation. It's just a matter of, of deploying those effectively. So I say all of that to say this. There's a lot of different combinations that we have seen so far this season, some of which have been horrible, others of which, as we just talked about, have been, been very good. And I think as the sample sizes continue to grow, and as you get into the trade deadline, those last few days where you know teams are really getting desperate, and you know some of the asking prices change and things like that, what I want the Clippers to consider is something that I've said so many times on this podcast: the answers I truly believe exist within the team right now. I truly believe the answers exist within the team, and a lot of this data supports that. Because there are dominant pairings that the Clippers have with the guys that are already on the roster, especially when they're fully healthy. So because of that, I'm not saying they shouldn't make any move. You guys already know I think they should make a marginal move for a backup center. I just don't think they should make a big swing for a guard who I believe the idea of that guard is better than the reality of that guard. And I think the same, that that logic can be applied to Fred Van Fleet, Kyle Lowry, and Mike Conley, but definitely Fred Van Fleet because I think a Lowry and Conley, the narrative around them, and rightfully so, um, is a little more accurate in terms of, of their inability to provide you know the type of utility that maybe um, you would like to get back in exchange for the package that it would, that it would require. So I'm again against them going and getting another guard. I do think they should go get a backup center. It's a lot more obtainable. It's a lot less expensive. And as long as they just lean in to the guard combinations that work, both next to Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, and when those two are off the court, I believe they have enough. And again, I've talked about it a lot. It might sound crazy because of how up and down this season has been, but you see it in the data. And I believe the data affirms my position. Now, it'll be very interesting to see because it's tough to gauge this team right now. It's tough to gauge this team because they've been so bad against winning teams and almost their entire record is bolstered by the weak schedule that they have played up until this point. They have beat up on bad teams and they have been beat up on by good teams. I mean, to a pretty drastic degree. Now, we are going to find out 
how good this team actually is in the next couple of months. February and March are brutal for the Clippers. Starting today, they have the most difficult schedule in the entire NBA from here on out. And when you look at their next 20-ish games, there's really not a free win in there. And there's really no free wins in the NBA at all. But you roll up on Houston, you roll up on San Antonio, you know, the Pistons, uh, (laughs) the Hornets, you feel pretty good about that. The Clippers don't have any of those teams in their next several weeks. It is quite the stretch from here really until about mid-March. So while the trade deadline is, of course, in between now and then, we are going to learn a lot about this team and how good they are. Because in between now and, like I said, about mid-March, the schedule is brutal. But the good news is that it also doesn't contain any back-to-backs. So the Clippers now have an opportunity to really get their guys healthy, get them full, and get tested against the league's best teams. That is what I'm excited for. Because we haven't, in my eyes, gotten a great look at what this team can or cannot be. We have seen them struggle against some of the league's best teams, most of the league's best teams, but a lot of that has come with guys out. We've seen them beat up on a lot of the teams, or excuse me, on a lot of the league's worst teams. But how much can you really take from that? I think we're about a few weeks away from truly seeing how good this Clippers team is. And what I want to see is them maximize their best groups, which certainly exists because we've gone over so many of them on this podcast, not just today, but over the last several weeks, and see what that does, how that holds up against the league's best teams. And in my eyes, I don't believe you need to make a trade in order to find that out. So we will have to wait and see, but it is going to be a very telling next few weeks. And it starts tomorrow. The Chicago Bulls are not a great team in terms of record, but they got talent and they got the type of talent that the Clippers could struggle with because Chicago, they're a high offense, low defense team. Uh, they, they've talked about that a lot. I don't think the numbers actually reflect that as accurately as I, as I think um, it, it is in terms of how their balance is from offense to defense. Because uh, when you look at team ratings, I'm going to pull it up again just to have it in front of me. You guys know me. I don't like to just say stuff to say stuff. I want to make sure I'm accurate here. Because when you look at offensive rating, the Chicago Bulls are 22nd. And when you look at defensive rating, they are 13th. So what that says, of course, is that they're a better defensive team than offensive team in terms of where they rank in the league. But when you listen to their players talk, guys like DeMar Rosen, uh, leaders on the team, they have been very upset with the team's defense over the last several weeks. And that's something to keep an eye on because it's a similar trend with the Clippers as well, where you look at their team ratings and their offensive rating is in the mud. It has been all season. They're 23rd in offense, but their defensive rating is still top 10. But if you've watched this team over the last several weeks, it feels completely reversed where the Clippers have been scuffling defensively, but their offense has picked it up. And I believe it's a similar trend for the Chicago Bulls, because you just hear the way their players talk. They've been very disappointed in their defense over the last few weeks. And it's something that the team has talked about. Uh, DeMar DeRozan, I mean, I, I think it was the uh, Minnesota Bulls that 
or Minnesota Bulls, what am I saying, man? Minnesota Timberwolves playing the Chicago Bulls that put up a ton of points on them. And Zach Levine, or excuse me, and DeMar DeRozan said, uh, this isn't the 2016 Warriors we're playing. Like, nobody should come in here and put that many points on us. So that's tomorrow's game. And after that, you got the Bucks. After that, you got the Knicks, who, well, they're the Knicks. They're three games over 500. And then you got the Nets. And then after the Nets, you got the Mavs. And then after the Mavs, you got the Bucks again. And after the Bucks, you got, who? hold up, who do they got after that? After the Bucks, they got the Warriors. So, I mean, it is just like one game after another where the Clippers are playing these top-notch teams. And I think we're really going to learn a lot about how good or how bad or how mediocre they are over the next few weeks. I just hope that they don't try to make an ill-advised big swing at the deadline uh, based upon you know what we've seen up until this point in the season. Because I think what we have seen is that there's groups that work that just haven't been maximized enough. And I think Ty Lewis started to turn a corner at least – in one area with going away from the three guard group. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. Uh, the Clippers are going to be on the road until the eighth. So this is uh, really probably the last, yeah, this is the last road trip they will have until the trade deadline. And that game on the eighth against the Mavericks is the last game they will have until the trade deadline. So we're getting close, you guys. We are getting close. Um, it makes me nervous because you just never know what this team is going to do. Uh, but you guys know, as I always say, I'll have the coverage for you, whether that be in written form, podcast form, uh, you know, videos on on Twitter, if we, if we get to that. Uh, you guys know I'll have it all for you. And as you can tell, a little bit nervous, not because, you know, I have anything in particular that I want them to do, but it's just, you just never know, man. This team comes out and shocks you almost every single year. So as I keep saying, we'll have to wait and see. But I appreciate you guys tuning in. I hope uh, you resonate with or some points that I made resonate with you guys in terms of what you want to see this team uh, do or what you want to see this team not do. And I just wanted to give some of the data behind why uh, I believe some of the things that I believe. Because as I continue to say, I think this team has the pieces that it have to effectively be put in place. So the next time I will be on here, unless something crazy happens, will be the sixth. If a trade happens in between now and then, I'll probably hop on again and break it down for you guys. But until then, as always, much love and go Clippers.